Uh, we are going to be jumping into Colossians again this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can start opening to the book of Colossians. But uh, just a quick announcement as you guys are doing that. I want to remind you about next Sunday, uh, the 28th, we've got his little feet here. Who's Who has seen his little feet? I want to ask that again. A lot of people have. That's awesome. Um, so International Children's Choir, they bring kids from all over the world. They travel the country. They they get some incredible life experiences. They go through a, a life training uh, program uh, in Windsor is actually where they're based. And they're going to be here sharing their message next Sunday. So we're going to combine into one service. We're going to pack the house. Kids will be in here. And we're going to have the choir share with us at 10 a.m. next week. And then right after the service, uh, we want to go and just kind of spend some time together. We didn't do our usual barbecue this year. So we're going to do a, a church picnic, bring your own picnic next Sunday. And uh, we've got... Uh, uh, some room in the kitchen if you need uh, to put coolers in there or whatever. And then we're going to head to Sunnyside Park, which is just down 6th, uh, st- is it Street? 6th Street, right? Or is it the Avenue? I don't know. Whatever this road is, right? 6th. Uh, we're going to walk down. There's just a few blocks. There's a great park down there. But bring blankets and chairs because there's not a lot of seating area. And we're going to have the His Little Feet team there with us so we get some time to interact with them. And kids can play with, with the choir kids. So uh, come join us 10 a.m. next Sunday and bring a picnic lunch. Uh, and this is a ministry that's near and dear to my heart, to my wife, uh, Becca and I, our, our, our hearts, and, uh, and that's because we were a part of this ministry for a number of years, for about six or seven years. And we actually had the opportunity to travel with the choir for a couple of years all over the country and, uh, and to lead and spend time with these kids and the staff, an incredible experience. And, uh, and so we love this ministry very much. And as I was thinking about uh, the text this week, it brought this memory to mind. Uh, back in 2015, we were traveling out to relieve the, the, the current directors at that time of, of the ministry uh, to give them some time off. We were going to lead the tour for a couple of weeks. So we were flying out to, I think, Ohio, and this was the first time we had flown with our first little one, Abigail. She was just under a year old. And, uh, and I remember uh, just how much we put into getting ready and, then, and how much stuff we packed for this trip, right? If you've ever traveled with little ones before, right, You'd, you know all this stuff. We took the pack and play. We took uh, the, the stroller. We took the car seat. We took the clothes. We took the toys. We took monitors. We took like all these things. I'm surprised we didn't just try to carry her dresser onto the plane with us, right? Like see if Southwest will count that as a, as a carry-on item, right? We had all these things. And I remember trying to get stuff checked in and then lugging a bunch of stuff through the airport and trying to get there on time and, and getting to our gate. And I was just like sweating. I was exhausted from carrying all these things. And I remember looking across at our gate, there was another family sitting there. And they had, I think, maybe three kids. They were a little bit older than ours. And they looked incredibly relaxed. Like they're just, they're just like having a great time. They're traveling. Their kids are looking at the plane. You know, no one's sweating or bleeding like I am. Like, the, what is happening here, right? Why, why don't they have, like, 19 items like we do for this trip? Now, maybe they had just checked everything in, right? And, and maybe they had done all the work. But, but it seemed to me 
that this family knew something we didn't know yet. And they knew that they had the most important things. They knew they had exactly what they needed. And anything else that they would take with them was just going to be a distraction, an unnecessary weight. As we've grown and traveled more with our kids, we've realized, and, and anyone that's traveled, you know that less is more, right? That you only want to take with you the most important things, and you want to leave the rest behind. This is a bit like what Paul is going to get at in our text today, Colossians chapter 2. Up until now, we've seen Paul explaining to these believers in Colossae, reminding them of the hope that they have in the gospel, of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished through his death and resurrection. Paul wants these Colossian believers to remember that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is enough. He's sufficient. And in today's text, he's going to remind them that there's nothing else they need. And he's going to warn them to be careful of things that would distract them, that would would deceive them and take them away from the truth of the gospel. This is what we're going to see today. Our main idea this morning is this, because you are in Jesus, there is nothing else you need. Because you are in Jesus, there is nothing else you need. And so, again, if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2, we'll have it up here on the screen as well. And we're going to actually go back to where Pastor Nate was uh, this last week uh, and start in verse 6 and 7. He unpacked this a little bit last week. We're going to revisit that because it really serves as a transition into what Paul is going to say next. Uh, So let's start in verse 6 and 7, and what we're going to see is this call to walk in Jesus. This is what Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We're going to pause right there. We see this call to walk in Jesus. And and Paul begins this sentence, this verse in in verse 6 with the word therefore, right? And so he's, he's calling back to what he's already been saying. Again, reminding the Colossians of who Christ is, what he has accomplished, and who they are in him. And so now Paul says, therefore, in light of these realities... He says, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, receiving Jesus, trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior is not the end. It's the first step. It's a very significant step. But now, after we've trusted in Jesus, we're called to walk differently, to live differently. And how are we to walk? Paul says we are to walk in Christ. And what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in Christ? Well, as we go further into the book of Colossians, we're going to see Paul give us some very specific instruction and encouragement as he writes to the Colossian church about what it looks like to walk in Christ. A lot of the rest of the book becomes more practical application and our living in light of the gospel. But right here, he gives us a few examples, right? He says, 
in verse 7, we are to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. Let's look at each of these for just a moment. Rooted in Jesus. Uh, I love Nate's example last week about planting trees and, and, and having those deep roots and being tethered to each other as we grow together. And I was, I was out doing some yard work yesterday, and I was looking in our backyard, and we have a couple of different sets of aspen trees that my good friend Doug Scott, who's in the back, helped me plant. Well, there's, there's two sets. The first set he helped me plant a couple years ago. And, and Doug... If you need some help in your yard, Doug's a great guy. Get his cell phone number. I'm sure he won't mind. But um, Doug, Doug is awesome. He came and he, he got some seriously deep holes, Doug, right? Doug, Doug. See how that works? It's amazing. And Titus, you probably did this too when you were helping Nate, right? And so we had this, this deep spot, this deep hole to put the root ball in, right, and put the, put the tree in and then fill it up and then begin watering it. And where we did that, where Doug helped me, those trees are growing strong, right? They're getting tall. They're up over the fence. They're looking good. Then there's a second set of aspen trees that I planted by myself. And I told Doug, don't worry about it. I saw what you did. I got this, right? I did not have this, right? I mean, I did okay. I did okay. They're still alive. Like, they're green. They still look like trees. But they're about half the size of the other ones, right? And there might be some other reasons for that, the sunlight they get and that kind of thing. But it's clear that the trees with the deeper roots are the ones that are thriving and growing. This is the picture that Paul gives us here, that we are to be rooted in Christ. We are to be deeply connected to him and dependent on him. The more we spend time with him and spend time in his word, know his word, spend time in prayer, spend time with each other, the deeper we grow in our faith and the stronger we'll be because of it. Paul says we're gonna, we, we need to be built up in Jesus. That's what it means to, to walk in Christ, that we are built up in him. There's this picture of our ongoing growth being strengthened as we grow in our faith in him. It's interesting because in other places where Paul writes about being built up, he's usually talking about the church and being built up together into a holy dwelling place for the Spirit. That, that somehow we are grown together, we're strengthened together. I love how one preacher said this, that we, as we are rooted in Christ, we grow in intimacy with him and in community with his people. As we are rooted in Christ, we grow in intimacy with him and in community with each other. That's what it looks like to be rooted in him and built up in him. And then he says at the end here that we are to be abounding in thanksgiving. Again, remember what Paul has been saying. Because of what Christ has done for you, you should be so thankful. We should be the most grateful people on the planet because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Paul also gives this qualifier before that statement about abounding in thanksgiving, right? He says, just as you were taught, we are to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. In other words, remember what you've been taught. Remember the gospel, the simple yet profound message of what Jesus has accomplished. 
Paul's call to the Colossians here is to remember what they know to be true, who Jesus is and what he has done and what this means for their lives, to continue to draw on this truth alone for their strength and their growth. Because as we're about to see here in verse 8, these believers are being tempted to believe some very different teachings. Let's see what Paul says in verse 8 of Colossians 2. He writes this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul's second instruction to the church is is to see to it. In other versions, you'll see the word beware. I'm going to use the term watch out. Watch out because we're going with W's today, all right? So watch out for lies. That's our, our second instruction here from Paul. He says, beware, watch out. See to it that no one takes you captive with philosophy and empty deceit. In other words, lies. Watch out for lies, as we've talked about before, there were, there were kind of two main approaches, two main uh, philosophies in this culture at this time when it came to religious and spiritual uh, practices. And, and those are up here on the screen. Syncretism is this idea that, that you reconcile or you fuse together differing systems of belief, right? You can kind of just pick and choose from whatever you find, right, and kind of just smush it together. You might want to take a little bit of the gospel, but you want to put some other things together with it. This is syncretism. The other is asceticism, and Paul is going to write a lot about asceticism as we move forward in Colossians, and that's the religious self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. In other words, legalism, right? Returning back to the Jewish rituals and law and these practices abstaining from things. And we're going to get, again, more explanation about what this looks like, especially in a couple of weeks. But Paul gives us enough here to know that, that the empty deceit, the lie here at its root is that Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not sufficient. The gospel isn't enough. We've got to add to it. It's Jesus plus or combined with this or subtracting that. Paul says these teachings are according to human tradition. This is the teaching and the wisdom of man, not of God. He says it's according to the elemental spirits of the world. These teachings are based on the things of this world, even the the spiritual realities and forces of this world. Later in chapter 2, he's going to connect this idea of elemental spirits of the world to things like regulations over food and drink and other examples of asceticism. This is man-made and it is worldly focused. It's clear that these believers in Colossae are being tempted to look at these other philosophies, these other teachings for their hope and their truth. They're looking to the wisdom and philosophies and regulations of man and not to the things that are according to Christ. Now, let me pause here for a moment because I think it's maybe easy to to think of the Colossians here, to read this, 
and, and kind of think like, what are you doing, Colossians? Right? Like, what are you thinking? Here you are, a part of, of this, this birthing church, right? This brand new movement that, that's being led by these men who have walked with Jesus and witnessed his resurrection. And, and, and God is doing these incredible things, and this message has come to you, this incredible hope of the gospel, and yet now you're turning to philosophies and wisdom of man, to the elemental spirits of the world. But I think we need to look at our own lives and our own hearts on this. And I think we need to ask the question, where are we taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit in our lives, in our culture, or even in the church today? And sadly, there is false teaching that exists in the church today. We're probably aware of some of this. We, we see things like the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movements, which overemphasize the role of man and, and, and makes faith into something that we utilize to have the lives that we want. That if we live in a certain way, God will bless us materially, right? The health and wealth concept is just false. It's completely false. It is not the gospel. But that teaching is very prevalent in the, in the church today because it sounds attractive, I'm guessing most of you have, have heard a little bit about this. If you haven't, um, there's a documentary called American Gospel that I recommend that really unpacks this. What is the prosperity gospel and these movements and, and why they're unbiblical? I'd encourage you to, to check that out. But I'm guessing most of you have, have probably heard of these things and have heard it addressed a little bit. But here's where this gets harder. Because it seems like here in this church in Colossae, uh, there was this infusion of these wrong teachings, these false teachings from the culture, from outside in, that was affecting and infecting the church. And so the next question is, what is the empty deceit that we are tempted to buy into culturally today? What are the lies based on human traditions that we subtly allow to affect our faith, to distract us from the truth of the gospel? What about this? All right, tricky ground here, right? Now, I want you to know that I love this country. I love a lot of things about this country. I'm a U.S. history minor, okay? I'm a nerd. I read books about World War II all the time, right? Like, uh, my dad and I can talk about Civil War stuff. Like, I, there's a lot that I'm grateful for in our country, in our history. There's a lot of things that I don't think we can be grateful for, too. But here's what our Declaration of Independence says. I'm going to read one of the most famous parts to you. I don't think you can read it up there, right? It says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Is this the gospel? Now, here's what's tricky. It kind of sounds like the gospel, right? It, it, it sounds true, right? God wants us to have life. He wants us to have freedom from our sins. He wants us to experience joy in him, right? But that's the key thing is that those things are found in him alone, not in our country, not in our rights, not in our freedom under this government, but those things are to be found in him and in him alone. Paul, in Colossians 2, verse 4, he talks about, he, he warns the Colossians to be careful of plausible arguments, that they wouldn't be deluded with plausible arguments. And what does that mean? It's, it means that this, some of these arguments, some of these teachings kind of make sense. They're not too far off, right? You can, you can see the similarities. They're plausible. But that's why they're so deceptive. We need to be careful to remember where our hope is and what our truth is and what the true message of the gospel is. The gospel is the reality that you are a sinner deserving of death and eternal condemnation in hell. You're separated from God. But God, who so loved the world, sent his son Jesus to live among us and die for us on a cross that through his death and resurrection... By grace through faith in him, we might have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, and life eternal. And now, as those who have trusted in Jesus, we are called to follow after him, to repent of our sins and our old ways, to follow after him and daily deny ourselves, to lay ourselves down for him and his glory. That's the gospel. There are a lot of voices that we listen to in our culture that, that are plausible, right? And, and messages that we can, we can identify with in Hollywood or talk radio or our favorite authors and podcasts, cable news. And, and we need to realize that even if there's some good things present in those messages, even if there are elements of truth in those messages, they are not the truth. We have one source for truth. It's God's word. It's the message of the gospel. We need to be adept in our culture today at weighing these things out, at, at hearing and seeing those messages and saying, is that true? Is that in line with God's word? Is that in line with the gospel? This is what Paul it's calling the Colossians to, warning them of, don't be deluded. Don't be caught captive by these empty lies. Instead, remember what you've been taught. And this brings us to the why. The rest of our text here, verse 9 through 15 in Colossians 2, Paul is going to go on this epic Rant, that sounds like a negative term, but that's like what Paul does, right? He's just going to kind of go on and on about something, and he is going to explain to us again why Jesus is enough. So let's read it together, starting in verse 9. Paul writes this, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness 
of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We don't know exactly, we don't know a ton of details about these wrong teachings, this empty deceit that was prevalent in the culture, but we know enough that, that I think it's clear Paul is, is addressing some specific lies that these believers were facing. And he's combating them with these epic truths of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Let's look at each one of them and kind of the lie that Paul combats here. Verse 9, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And the lie, the cultural lie, was probably something like, you need some other spiritual mediator with God, right? You, you, you need something else or someone else in order to have a relationship with God, in order to be right with God. Paul says the truth is Jesus is God. And that as you trust in him, you have a relationship with the Father because Jesus was fully God and fully man. There's no questioning his sufficiency. He is the perfect Savior who could alone pay the penalty for our sins. You need no other mediator but Jesus. Verse 10, he says, You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The lie was probably something like you, you need something else to be complete, right? You need Jesus plus. You need gospel plus. Paul says the truth is you have been filled in Jesus. And if Jesus is God, which he is, then that means that the power and presence of the living God is in you by faith in him through the Holy Spirit. You don't need anything or anyone else. Paul says this Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus is enough. Jesus is greater. Verse 11, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's interesting that Paul here pivots to circumcision as an example. Of course, circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with his people in the Old Testament. It was a physical marker that they were set apart from all other peoples. And so we don't know if circumcision was being taught or actually practiced in this culture or even in, in the church at this point, but it, it seems he's using this as an example to address the underlying issue, which is living by the flesh. Paul says, in, it's in Jesus that you've been circumcised. You have received a spiritual circumcision 
We can put off the flesh. We no longer need to live by the flesh, by physical circumcision, because something has happened in you spiritually through Jesus. Then he goes on in verse 12 to say that you've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And now Paul mentions baptism. Why do we baptize? Well, for one, we baptize because Jesus commands us to, and Jesus himself was baptized, right? We believe it's, it's the first and, 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 and important obedient step after we've trusted in Jesus to be baptized. But we also believe that Scripture teaches us that baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality, of the spiritual work that the Holy Spirit does in us when we trust in Jesus, So what's the lie here that Paul is combating? I think it's that you need to embrace the law and ritual to be saved. You need to follow these practices. You need to turn back to to the Jewish rituals of circumcision to be made righteous. But Paul says the truth is you have been made righteous in Jesus. It's in and through his death and resurrection, by grace, through faith in him alone, that you've been saved and made spiritually clean. It's not through your religious practices or works. Paul wants the Colossians to remember that the same powerful work of God that raised Jesus from the dead continues to work in them now. And that's true for you as well. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. That's incredible hope. Verse 13 and 14, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses, your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You couldn't live by the flesh, but God has made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul beautifully sums up what God has accomplished for us in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses, our, our flesh, our sins, We were legally bound to pay the penalty for our sins before a holy and righteous God. And that penalty was death. But here's the good news, the the lie that was probably prevalent in the culture and I think is still for us today. You, You need to do more to be made right with God. You need to do more. But the truth is, is that God has made us alive He's forgiven us in Christ. How has he done it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He paints this incredible picture, right, of of taking these legal demands, your sins, my sins, my trespasses against God, and he sets them aside. Everything you've done, even your deepest, darkest sin, because of grace, because of what Jesus was, has accomplished on the cross, he's taken it aside. He's nailed it to the cross. It's been canceled. It's been paid for. 
And just to drive this point home, Paul again reminds us of the spiritual supremacy of Jesus. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Spiritual rulers and authorities, the spiritual forces in our world, they haven't just been defeated. They've been disarmed. They've been put to shame. They no longer have any power over those who are in Jesus. This is such good news. It's such an important reminder for us today. Remember what you've been taught. Remember the truth and the hope of the gospel. And beware of these empty lies of anything that would add to or subtract from the gospel. I think the lie that, that we feel, that I can feel today, is that we need to look elsewhere. Like, what if we're, what if we're just missing it, right? Do, do we have enough? And we live in a, in a culture that has so many answers and so many philosophies and so many teachings. Maybe we need to look somewhere else for our truth or our hope or our identity. But that's not the truth. Let's look at the passage again one more time. And this time I've, I've put some things in bold because I want us to see this. What Paul is reminding the Colossians and reminding us of. And so let's, let's read this again and, and pay attention to those words in bold. Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands." By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. How? In him. In him. With him. Through him. Paul repeats it over and over. In fact, so many times I think I missed one. The night I missed one in bold, right? He just continues to remind us, it's all in Jesus. Everything you need is in him. And if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are in Jesus. You're in Christ. And by his spirit, you've been united with him. You have a relationship with him. You can be rooted in him, built up in him, made alive through him. His power works in you. And so you can walk in him. 
You can live a life of obedience and you can stay clear of the lies that would seek to distract you and deceive you from the truth. Jesus is greater. Jesus is enough. Anything else you look to will deceive you and distract you and weigh you down. We keep coming back to this. What do you need that reminder for today? That Jesus is greater than. What empty deceit have you bought into? Have you started to believe plausible arguments? Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. Because you are in him, there is nothing else you need. Worship team, you guys can come on back up. We're going to take communion right now. And communion is such a significant reminder of what Christ has done for us. His body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Those transgressions, the legal demands that we had to pay, we couldn't pay. Jesus paid for us. And so as you come this morning, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the communion table is for you. We want you to come and and remember Christ's sacrifice for you. If you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, we just ask you to, to, to not, to stay in your seat and to think and to pray. And I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'll, I'll be standing right up here. Come find me. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to trust in Jesus. But let's remember that because of what Christ has done, there is nothing else we need. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have given us everything we need in and through your son, Jesus. And we don't have to look to other things. We don't have to look to ourselves. Lord, we can, we can stay away from the lies, the empty deceit of this world, because that's what it is. It's empty. And instead, we can put our eyes on you. We can trust fully in you, Jesus, as the one who has paid the penalty for our sins as the one who has made us alive together with you and the one who by your spirit works in us powerfully empowering us to walk in you to be deeply rooted and established in you to be the people that you've called us to be God we confess I confess how hard it is to just keep that narrow focus and to believe that we need Jesus plus, the gospel plus, but we know that's a lie. Jesus, we have everything we need in you. There's nothing else we need to turn to. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.